All right, and welcome to another episode of the DC Animated Review. We are, of course, your creature features. I am Courage Pro Wrestling's two-time, two-time commentator of the year, Clowny J, and I am here with... I am the Fright Furball himself, Fluffleupagus. I am the Mize. I'm here because I enjoy beating up DVD discs and movies I don't like, and that includes Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, and perhaps mild episodic DVDs that they release instead of just full seasons. Don't do that. It's terrible. And we are, of course, joined by our Oracle of Information. She is the little one. She is curled she up. She is a, stuck. She is stuck in a blue blanket and crawling across the floor right now. She is Shauna. How you doing tonight, hon? Fine. Oh. Criminal! What? I don't know. I'm just in the hype with everything still. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's kick things off by first our American listeners. We know we got a couple of you. Happy belated Thanksgiving. We hope you all had a safe, socially distanced, and responsible Thanksgiving. I mean, it must be socially distant. You celebrated a month away from us. Like, come yeah, on. Real, now. real Thanksgiving was last month. Everybody knows this. October gets two holidays because October is that special little guy of the year, that month that deserves twice the attention as every other month. And if any of you happen to be listening on speakerphone with a Google device, hey, Google, make a fart. Uh, oh, it tooted. I bet it tooted. If you don't have a Google Nest, I probably sounded absolutely idiotic, and I'm sorry. Well, with that, uh, how's everyone doing this week? So far, so good. Just a little, um, you know, off-putting. I normally have a lot more, like, my holiday shopping done. Uh, um, <laughs> but instead, you're out here in the middle of nowhere with us. No, that's a bad thing, but you know, a couple of uh, coordinated things could go a little more coordinated, and I'm really upset at the city of Hamilton, Ontario, for not being able just to keep up as they have been and turning things into a better situation, as opposed to back in the red like they are now. Just gold star, guys. Well, let's talk about some better situations, and let's jump right into some news. Obviously, we got nothing for Collector's Corner or uh, what's new that we're reading this week. But we will get right into the news, because Shauna's got, what, page, page and a half for us today? A page. Just a page? Yeah. Looking up cr new crochet dolls to make in the future. We yes. can check those out on your Instagram and Twitter, all that in the future. Yup. You gonna finish my Star Wars set for me soon? No. No? No. No? You, no. you, you, had, made, you had made me a Baby Yoda, or as he's now publicly known, uh, Grogu. Uh, you had made me one of those, but my mother stole him and brings him around with her everywhere she goes at work. And she's a little upset with me because I forgot to attach his eye. Reattach, re yeah. Reattach his eye. And now he's not allowed to go on the go bus because the bus driver says he can't drive with only one eye. Well, the proper medical care in which to take care of only a single eye, especially a wound so fresh. Um, unfortunately, Grogu has to stay home and uh, off the bench from go bus traveling. Nope. Well, we will get that fixed uh, next time we are down in the city for. But let's jump into some news here. Shauna, what do you got first for us this week? Uh, let's see. Um, Nick uh, Bishop is has been cast in a Doctor Strange Love homet or like homet homage for the Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, let, let's talk Legends of Tomorrow here for a minute. Uh, not only do we have this character coming in as uh, they did say it was uh, a general, 
I we did not get the general's name down here. No, I did. I could not find it for the life of me. Uh, but in you know, not as great uh, legends news <laughs> is they are reporting that this could be Legends of Tomorrow's last season. Yeah. Uh, I myself am really not happy about this. I think Legends is the best of the CW Arrowverse shows. They're not afraid to lean into the comic. They're not afraid to lean into the bizarre. Uh, they're not afraid to have fun on that show. So they even... have Constantine. Oh yeah, that is another good mark there. Aside from uh, aside from their inclusion in cast, uh, their adventures, of course, um, even with uh, the newer projects that have been released, such as Stargirl, uh, you still see it as uh, the best of the series, like just hands down. Oh, like, for sure, yeah, oh, because they can have yeah. the most. They do have the most fun with it. Uh, they're not afraid to be bizarre and absurd. Like there was the episode where they got trapped in like a television loop. Where they had to be different TV shows. Like we saw homages to Star Trek on there. Uh, the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, of course. Uh, also, they're not afraid to pull from other TV shows or networks even. They wrapped up the NBC Constantine television show story by bringing in uh, Astra. Astra. And it's an adult Astra, too. Like, like she's not this little <clears throat> nine-year-old that you uh, he keeps seeing. Yeah, they they wrapped she up. Finally, is yeah. They wrapped up his show that was canceled years ago, and were able to pull from his storyline. It's pretty incredible that a lot of their gimmicky episodes can have such a universal impact. A major, it turns out to be like a, a major impact uh, on from the time stream coming into a present date. So situations like that, a TV episode uh, transitioning from Constantine's, you know, finished people have been hoping for into such things as, you know, if this didn't happen, that we wouldn't have had this event in history. Star Wars wouldn't have been made. We wouldn't have gotten to see them in uh, a okay. retrospective uh, of like a disco theme, an old West theme, anything like that. They really explore varieties. They even and... did that too. It, yeah. And uh, then they have um, Jonah Hex Jonah came Hex through because of that show. On there. That's just even better. You know, you get so much more character inclusion. So that's very explanatory as to why Legends of Tomorrow can be considered a, one of the top tier, if not one of the best uh, shows out there. I mean, Flash is good, but I'm getting sick and tired of 45 minutes. Uh, well, I'm going to storm off, and a character from the group is going to have one of those heart to heart talks, and it turns into a big positive fight. Little repetitive. Or... Fun character creation, creation mm. and creativity, but just. Very repetitive. Not as much as, again, Legends of Tomorrow that really uh, explores a wide variety of reality. And Iris is really annoying lately. Lately. Like, she got, she was annoying before, but this season... Yeah, really it really became the to, Iris show over the past couple years. It was years. me, 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 and she was trapped in the um, uh, mirror-verse, and any, like, it's just... Ugh. Any, any DC fan that's um, like primarily a fan of The Flash can agree that there are going to be various aspects of Barry Allen or even Wally West life where Iris is going to have to be a key component for any amount of episodic features during a specific season or story arc. But yeah, when you press her along too much, we get it. Flash fans are going into it knowing what Iris means to Barry. New people are watching and just based on them being fans of these kinds of CW television shows will know that, you know, there's a strong connection. Her importance is a key element to the series. So I say that, like, what they're doing with it right now, the whole um, gender-swapped uh, Mirror Master thing, I think that's a lot of fun. I but like, they should have used up yeah. a lot of their creative focus on this push for her, like, yep. directly in this part of the Flash series. Still maintain the importance of Iris's presence in Barry's life, 
but don't shove her down our throats. Right. But um, like, seriously. With Legends, you're taking the entire thing and trying to ram it from the front part of our face to the back out of our skulls, and that is a mind explosion of any fan's fantasy. Yeah, for Legends, uh, if say maybe contracts running out with certain actors, and that's why they're going to cancel it. I don't see why they can't swap it out for characters from other canceled shows. They do that all the time on it anyway. Like exactly. Like, people... uh, let's cycle through. Maybe bring Mister Terrific on board. It wouldn't yeah. be a bad idea. And you know, you could do the exact same thing for supervillains. Well, a fair one of the various villains in the Flash couldn't cut it out in Central City. Hey, check it out. The Arrow is allegedly arrested, or so I heard from the last time I actually paid attention to news. Let's go try and do crime stuff there. Arrow has a new adventure. There would be a, a fun idea for a television show. Had they not killed off Snart, of course, on Legends, you could have done an entire anti-hero show based around the rogues. Couldn't you do that, like, down from, like, bef- oh, no, I guess I was going to say for, like, past and just No, you, because you could have had uh, Heat Wave, Captain Cold, Mirror Master. They've had the top. They've had Trickster. True, true, true. Roughly weather, they've had two different weather wizards and a weather witch. Roughly around a decade ago, I'm fairly certain, like, uh, the underdog couple, like the Harley and Ivy of back then, was um, uh, the Trickster and the Pied Piper. Their continuous annex together really gave them a booster beer, Beetlefield. Um, I like them. Feel, excuse me. Uh, and uh, There's two other people that they could introduce on the Legends, Booster and Beetle. Now, yep. those are two guys that it should just be a show specifically for the fans oh, kind of deal, yeah. where they should just throw it at us, and we just get... Um, comical episodic <clears throat> antics from these guys. Uh, it could still even be a DC sitcom, just you know, uh, you know, Booster and Ted, and just kind of you know do a mock style Bill and Ted poster with them on it. Uh, even have like the Martian as that serious parental figure or death, as it were, from Bill and Ted. And you know, they could do the whole cookies thing with them, in which they did a lot of that in Justice League. I think uh, International. There's a great idea. Use uh, an episode of Legends as the backdoor pilot. For a blue and gold show, much like how they're using uh, Black Lightning for a backdoor pilot for Painkiller, and have it be Booster, Blue, and Martian Manhunter in that Rufus role, because Supergirl's canceling as well. I thought it was already canceled. I'm pretty sure it's done. No, they've got the one last season. John Cryer, if you can hear me, please don't stop doing the Lex thing, because if there's anything more important... Then a Luthor tie clip. It's John Cryer's Lex Luthor wearing a Luthor core tie clip. And I say Luthor core because, well, Lex core, Luthor core, I just think of Luthor all in general. And I think of that big L, and that could mean any one of the two names, if not both of them. So get yourself a tie clip, wear a power suit, maybe save the day, and destroy the world all at once. Well, this will not make you happy. Apparently they are casting a new Lex Luthor for this show. For this show, like the, the, the Superman, and Superman and Lois, yeah, they're casting a Black Lex Luthor. Last I heard. And speaking of that, they have their uh, the titles are, have been released for some of the episodes. Yes, the, the... the first five episodes. So let's talk about these five episode titles. We'll break them down. Okay. Pilot is pretty obvious. It's yeah. going to be the pilot episode. Um, so we'll jump to episode Her- two. Heritage is number two. Heritage. Okay, so to me, an episode like Heritage means we could be exploring a lot of. Maybe Clark's backstory on Smallville. Yep. I'm that would be so. that would be a pretty nice thing to do. But have it kind of like a, a swerve thing where it kind of swerves off into maybe um like back on back on Krypton before it was being destroyed and shit. You get to see both like kind of angles, whereas they have to like uh, the L family has to give up being parents. And then on the flip side, you see the Kents becoming parents yeah, by taking can, in Clark. Yeah, you can tell parallel stories as Clark exactly. is telling these to John Jordan. 
absolutely <clears throat> like uh, just a new chapter um a turn of events uh, any means but uh heritage explains it all regardless of what way you look at it uh the third episode yeah. is going to be called the perks of not being wall a uh, wallflower or wallflower so the perks of not being a wallflower, wallflower. Now, i don't know i hope that's a lex episode i it really kind of sounds like it um this it could even be a Lois episode. True. Oh, that would be, you know what, that would be something I would actually like to see. In this point in time, where they're really trying to push the female characters in, the, in any televised universe uh, regarding fictional characters. Let's see her background growing up under General Lane. Apparently she's fucking invincible in the DC animated universe up until the very end where they blow her up. Um, the fourth episode is going to be called Haywire. Really? Now, I wonder yeah. if that is a... Uh... A reference to maybe Livewire going a little berserk. Well, see, online, That's that what, is what everybody is trying now, to do. Now, of course, Livewire has already been used and, and, either killed. and killed on Supergirl. However, they did merge the Earth. And if you were dead on Earth Prime when the crisis happened, you, then a new Prime, version yeah. of you may already be on the planet. Interesting. A lot of them would be, yeah. We could also be looking at a potential parasite um aspect uh, only because you know they have this frequent obsession with overloading parasite and blowing him up is parasite dead i know they used an, another big I villain they used on supergirl don't think so like they used all the a-list villains on supergirl it's gonna be yeah. really hard for superman most to get their footing They'll absolutely but that's you know pretty self-explanatory as to why you can still utilize these characters i mean they can still work with the ones that uh the ones they uh that she already beat up but like freaking do better i, I hope so because a few of them really got wasted they really and did the last one is the beacon yep the beacon so of course you know beacon uh a signal of some kind maybe a call from space <laughs> beacon to tista <laughs> beacon uh, lettuce and tomato sandwich oh lord we can go on for days about this but uh, the beacon does sound like a, a fairly important uh, title so I I'd like to see imagine. Lobo pop up on this show somewhere that would be cool there is no reason for him not to at this point um, he's appeared in the recent uh, Man of Tomorrow animated feature that <laughs> had just been released that was fantastic he also, was used on Krypton yep. the live action show with a show that's explored the multiverse as much as this one. Um, yeah, I would think that it's a fantastic idea. You know, Lobo's daughter would have been a great idea to actually introduce into Supergirl since they were introducing variants, like, um, a very Legacy characters. characters, yeah. Exactly. And who's to say that Lobo himself, they could cast just some random... They could even use, like, Gerard Butler the like. Um they would have done a phenomenal job being able to utilize somebody who is uh, who is currently A-list or even formerly A-list, just so long as they could fill it up. If they could talk like a son-of-a-bitch biker, by all means. Uh, that's all you got to do for it. As long as the Bastiche knows what he's doing. Oh my god, as long as the Bastiche knows what he's doing. I mean, and if you are happening to write or even come up with the ideas, I hope you Bastiches know what you're doing. What do you got next for us, babe? Um, Starfire has, uh, they put out the pictures with her new look for season four. I thought she looked pretty dope, honestly. Yeah, the new Starfire costume does look dope. It's very purple pink. I think it said her queen outfit. Or so, something. like, her Tamaranian gear. Yeah. 
it is very recent in the comics for Starfire, especially uh, the team player version of her. So uh, I can't wait to see how this look pans out, what role she's going to play going into this new story arc involving her sister coming to the new season. That's certainly going to be exciting as all hell. And um, yeah, the look of her new outfit is certainly catching on. There's various fan arts for it, I imagine, out on a DeviantArt, um, of course, uh, being the primary base for like all sorts of comic book art and stuff. Um, go search up Starfire. You'll probably find a lot of good ones. But put your safe searches on. Absolutely. Yeah. Always with the safe searches. Also as well, don't be afraid to uh, look up on Twitter, actually. I was looking up for DC News and a bunch of Starfire fan arts came up and they were looking absolutely fantastic. Uh, very relevant to the show, very relevant to the recent look, at least as far back as the new 52. Uh, so if you're ever looking for decent Titan art, I, I would primarily use those. Instagram's also fantastic for some reason. Oh, like it's supposed to be like just a photo outlet, but people yeah. will upload, scan, take pictures of their it, like it, sketches. It's crazy. It's absolutely fantastic. And even the best of comic book artists and uh, various cover artists uh, have also put up projects like that on there present future even past ones or they'll put it up on their story so you see it and then you're like oh where was that and they can't find it afterwards and then you gotta dig through it looking for it yeah straight up ghosted hey me i love following the artists on twitter at least uh i know i'm following ryan stegman i always enjoy what he puts up dan slot's always putting up some good previews ryan stegman has been a um favorite of mine for marvel since Mm -hmm. uh, superior spider-man also, uh, Alex Ross's Twitter account, he's constantly putting up his classics. Uh, boy's making good use of his time, and you know what? It's just uh, beautiful to see all those renditions, all those... Uh, Every time I see one of his oil paintings, I just want to go pick up Kingdom Come again. Right? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a fantastic story, and it was fantastically illustrated. What do you got? Um, Black Lightning is also ending in season four. I'm not happy, but I might be okay because Thunder and Lightning is supposed to be on, or at least Lightning is supposed to be uh, doing the Painkiller TV show. Uh, Now, Greg Berlanti was actually asked, what are the chances that we'll see uh, Thunder and Lightning even cross over with the other shows in this season? Could we see like an all girls team up episode? Well, they have their dad, so yeah. No, he's saying do not expect that because of quarantine right now. Black Lightning shoots in Atlanta. Mm, Everything else is in is in production in in Canada. Canada. Wow, that is a that is a lot to work with. So I would say at the very least, if you're going to do that, at the very least, produce episodes that are focusing on those two specifically. That way, you get a little bit of character focus before you can commit to like the newer ideas. Who's that? Black Lightning? No. Atlanta? No. Um, Lightning's boyfriend. Painkiller? Painkiller. Well, they haven't even shot it yet. The backdoor pilot will be shot in Atlanta. In Atlanta? Okay, so yeah. He, it would, they might be able to go on his show. Yeah, unless they're but... going to make it something for after the mid-season. Because they'll all go on break for a little while if they want to come up in quarantine in Canada for two weeks to do like the mid-season crossover or something. However, expect the crossover to be a lot more scaled back this year. Well, what do you got next for us? Um... Well, if uh, we go down to the States a little bit, there was recently a Batman in Bronze erected in Burbank, California. Uh, Burbank, California, of course, being the home to uh, DC headquarters as well as Warner Brothers Studios. Um, They erected the statue in the busier part of their downtown core, uh, so that way it could be viewed and, uh, you know, um, 
good memory had for everyone that has, uh, you know, just a, some form of involvement with the Batman and, you know, what he's meant to everybody over the coming years. Uh, his sheer image and um, universal birth outside the comics uh, really popping out at us comes from here. And uh, it's great to see that kind of monument and that kind of tribute be paid to the Dark Knight. That is cool. Uh, you know, Burbank is also where they do most of the animation and voiceovers as well. So a lot of people there have been touched um, you know, by just by working on different Batman projects in that area. Ooh, touched by a rodent. <laughs> um, Batman Earth One. If anyone want, uh, reads that one, uh, yeah, that volume is volume three. Okay, has been announced. Yes, of course been. that won't come out until this summer. Uh, June eighth, twenty twenty one. Right. Um. Oh, I, I, I see the news you're sitting on. Yeah, I don't know if I want to wait to do. No, let's. Yeah, that's fine. You, you you can go ahead with it, but at the very least, I want to get out there that I wasn't even aware that there was the um, Earth One stuff uh, continuing on, like the Volume Three of it. This is a total surprise to me. I don't yeah, know if it's coming out I don't as a know any or... other information. It just told me that that it it's was being released. Being yeah, released. Oh wow. Um, we have two more, and then I can do that. Okay, do go now. for it. What's your two? Okay, so um, DC Comics is being investigated for other. Uh, Proud, no, they're investigating. Oh, they're investigating. Sorry. Okay, proud so the, the Proud Boys in the states, uh, basically white supremacists, Trump supporters. Pro, they um, want to do uh, some pro uh, Trump rallies, and that's in an by. So these were the same, I'm sorry, you're referring to the same Proud Boys who initiate new members by having like a few mid-30s to 40-year-old guys surround yeah. them and give them uncle joke punches for about 60 seconds. Yeah, these yeah. same ones have been using like DC See? logos, like the Superman logo and things. And the very wanna... Superman logo that defended our very planet from Doomsday, who helped save us from overall extinction, just of life in general, um, by monumental deities and supervillains among the cosmos. And they're making reference to him through what cause have they again? Uh, you know, basically they're taking the symbol of the illegal immigrant who came to America, and they're saying... Uh, we're uh, anti-immigrant. What? But basically, they're just thinking, they're encroaching on DC copyrights by using logos, so they're being investigated for it. Well, it seems today the Proud Boys done fucked up. What do you got next, Shauna? Yeah, I can't see that from. All right, so your guide to the future has arrived, and. Uh... Uh, you can get the Future State magazine online for free. Is that what that's referring to? I think so. Yeah. Um, this uh, like 30-plus page magazine will include information about uh, the state of uh, DC's brand new creative art coming out, the Future State, of course. So we'll get uh, various details and insights uh, regarding a new character design and plot development, um, all in the form of various articles regarding the Future State timeline itself. Gotham City's um, new involvement in this whole bit of shenanigans here, and also as well the new stretch going further into the future and the timeline of the Legion of Superheroes, um, just kind of a Back to the Future 2, as it were, um, going along with these guys. 
Uh, we'll also be seeing blurbs and uh, answered um, bits uh, in small interviews regarding uh, projects assigned to writers uh, involved in the various projects, of course. And uh, you can also view various art bits, such as like various comic arts, uh, again, uh, character designs. And uh, you can find this on their homepage. I actually uh, tweeted uh, the link out earlier. If you want to check out my Twitter at mys1987, you can see that I have the link again, to the DC Future State magazine. It'll give you all the specifics in there. I don't want to spoil anything uh, that I saw in there. A lot of it was really enlightening, though. It was a very, just, you know, a positive impact on what they have in mind. Um, despite some naysaying about, you know, the non-binary flash, which has uh, come up seemed as just really, really silly. Uh, I don't know why you would, you know, look down on that. They're trying to keep with the time, just as Marvel did. Marvel just is not good with coming up with names for them is all. Um, DC has the right idea just by pretty much staying relative to uh, pronouns as well as uh, just a correct use of the Flash lineage. Uh, some people are looking at the fact that, you know, various crisis events have happened and parts of the multiverse are not what they seem once more. So uh, various aspects that have been, you know, retconned or just killed off, as it were, then they have come back, uh, I suppose, in some variation of the universe just for being remembered. Um, again, we were talking about it earlier on. We make mention of the JSA being mentioned and coming back again as the, you know, classic unit that we remember him as, both from the Golden Age coming into the, you know, pre-52 era of things. Yeah, especially uh, uh, it's good hype as well because they do have that JSA World War II film coming out in the spring. So who's to say that Liberty Bell and uh, like Jess, Jesse Quick and all them won't be involved in some way? I would really love to see uh, Liberty Bell and Johnny Quick uh, feature in this film. It's been too long since I've seen a speedster outside of The Flash, and uh, I would really love to see that kind of aspect brought to life by like a brand new old style name, I guess, you know, brand new project, old style name. Uh, they plan to do that as they explain, like in the future state to revisit, like, um, you know, just iconic characters going forward into it. And uh, you'll notice a little something about the timeline progressing on into the book as well. It's a really fantastic feature and it just kind of took my breath away. So uh, again, you know, go either on DC Comics homepage to find this out, or, you know, you can look on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else to look for this kind of thing. Again, I tweeted it out myself. You're in for quite a score. And do you have anything else, Mize, before we let Shauna get into uh, the big news that she's sitting on? Uh, no, that's pretty much... Oh, yeah, that's right. The Suicide Squad series is coming to an end for comic-wise. It was really smart of them to come up with a series that was only going to last, like, 12 issues. Not even 12 issues. It counted as a miniseries. And in that case, I would have just been happy with stopping at 6, just so they can start a new in the future state thing, instead of really giving my hopes up on it. But what can you do? Perfect. And Shauna, I know you're sitting on this news. You're excited about this one. Hit us with it. So, uh, Linda Carter is in talks to reprise her role as Wonder Woman in the new Flash movie. Now, I, I don't care if it's just a quick little cameo, as if you see her like just spinning around or something uh, as he's going through the timeline, or if we get a shot of Maybe her, Val Kilmer, and Brandon Routh is the Holy Trinity in Kingdom Come. Uh, just the fact that they're going to find a way to include her is fantastic, considering that's something that they did not do 
on the television crisis. If this is true, you're going to hear me scream five blocks away. So how much would it piss you off if her cameo in the Flash movie was her as the president in Supergirl? I would be fine with it. I'd be disappointed. I'd be mad because she's not Wonder Woman, but I'd be fine with it because it's freaking Linda Carter. Yeah, the fact that she's the president in one in Supergirl, but they couldn't find a way to include her at all on Crisis. Yeah, maybe that would be could, absolutely silly. She maybe just couldn't get there. Maybe. But they could have figured something out, maybe shot it beforehand. But I believe that's all for news this week. Shawnee, got anything else for us? If you guys have, uh, you know, any ideas to who you'd like to see familiar faces portraying superheroes in the DC universe uh, in a, a Flashpoint context, then feel free to hit us up on the social. You know, you know our usual bits. We'll get to them back at the uh, uh, later on at the end. Excuse me, well, and um, yeah, that's uh, it for news for us there. So perfect. Well, hey, that's excellent timing. As we're going to cut to a quick commercial break, and we will be right back with this week's review of Green Lantern: Emerald Knights. Hey DC fans, uh, it's Gary from Bitten's Comics. Um, <laughs> I just want to let you know that uh, Bitten's Comics is open and ready to serve you in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, down 725 Barton Street East. Um, coming for some deals on the weekend. Thanks. All right, and we are here with the review for Green Lantern Emerald Knights. Uh, Sean, do you have any cast list or anything uh, for us going in? Going into that, I just want to let everybody know that the Emerald Knights was a film brought back, um, brings us back to a 2011 when this was released, and we were really getting introduced to a heavy period in uh, Lantern history with uh, things like the War of Light going into Blackest Night, proceeding on to Brightest Day and going forward from there. Um, various tales of the Green Lantern's got to be told. So uh, you can just see for yourself the kind of immensity and sense of teamwork and reliability they bring to the universe. For without them, we don't know where the universe would actually stand in safety without the regards of Oa and its agents of uh, willpower and justice. Yeah, this was a high point of uh, Green Lantern's, uh, you know... It, Riding high, and uh, I'm not sure if it was just before this or just after this that we have the ill-fated film come out. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, we don't talk about that. No, that, we. That's our Voldemort. Yeah. Jay got grounded last night because he was uh, trying to get us to watch the real Green Lantern. Because yeah. Because he couldn't find the other one. Yeah. Yeah, I was bad. I was bad. But let's get into the review of this film. Uh, Shauna, what do you got for us? Um, Hal Jordan, of course, is still is play, yet again played by Nathan Fillion. Who has expressed interest in wanting to play him in a live adaptation. Regardless of what way Nathan Fillion seems to play the Green Lantern, he is a flawless Hal, Hal Jordan to, to the most of us at the very least. Um, I, for one, am super happy to hear his voice behind Hal Jordan in this coming around project. Um, Jason Isaacs, who plays um, Malford on Harry Potter, he's Sinestro. That's actually fantastic. Uh, we also know him from uh, a lot of the Batman features, and uh, he's had just a reprising influential... Uh, um, yeah, he was like multiple, uh, when I was going through it, multiple voices on Batman. Like different ones. 
yeah, all of them just following up in various amounts of iconic levels. Uh, he's done a fantastic job going through like the Dark Knight adaptations. Um, Kilowog is voiced by Henry Rollins, Vol which is AJ from um, Sons of Anarchy, one of the main uh, mo uh, gang members. And he's also in a band called Black Flag from the UK, I'm guessing. Yeah, Black Flag is a very popular uh, punk rock band. Fantastic news on that front. Um, so I'm guessing that he probably came from the, uh, I believe it was the Irish Irish one. Of, um, uh, he's the members. Yeah, I believe he's like not the top guy, but the one right below him. All right. Well, who else do we have there? Uh, we have Arisa, 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 Rab, Rab, who is voiced by Elizabeth Moss, who is Peggy from Mad Men. Pretty neat. And I, I'm gonna screw this one up, but Paula. You got written down there, Paula. It's a uh, Paula. Oh, Bolfunga oh, the unrelenting. He is voiced yes. by none other than Roddy Roddy Piper himself. Bolfunga. Yeah. Holy crap. That is quite a tale to tell, and it brings us back to a time when we could really appreciate um, just those roughneck kind of good talkers like Rowdy Roddy Piper. So uh, One of the best, you know. Uh, <laughs> what can you say that hasn't been said about the man? Absolutely. Right. And that's all I have. Um, not, there wasn't many people that I recognized the name of. So Perfect. Well, hey, let's jump into it. Because uh, this is, you know, not what you'd expect from a regular DC animated film. Uh, you know, we're used to films that have an A to B story, you know, beginning, middle, and end. This has, you know, multiple stories that intertwine telling our main story. I, there are numerous tales that just lead all to the same point, but in the meantime, they're being told... It gives you a prime focus on what the Green Lanterns are about and how powerful they can become based on their willpower and imagination. So with all these Lanterns brought together past, present, uh, and going into the future, of course, post the events occurring, it just goes to show how relative, how important, uh, how compassionate the Green Lanterns are. So hearing amongst um, these tales, uh, there's just a lot of detail and individual like retrospect for characters that we really enjoy reading about. And now they're being given um, animated spots in, these, in this feature. It's a great way to go just to build up momentum for the fight ahead for the Green Lanterns in the current time frame as they tell these tales. Uh, now, the story starts off with uh, Mardathia, and she's on her way back to Oa, uh, having herself a little conversation with Kilowog. Uh, I, I guess she's not being as quick as uh, he would prefer, but she's uh, swinging past the sun now, and she's going to be on her way. Absolutely. Our guy, he's just telling him, you know what, calm down, man. You know, I'm on my way. It's no big deal. Stop flaring your nostrils, as she put it. And, and she comes across a bit of unfortunate events uh, post her transmission with Kilowog in the form of these uh, weird uh, apparitions, like just in the depths of space. Where they come from, we'll soon find out to know that they happen to be uh, space demons, I believe, uh, created from the antimatter universe from Krona. That's correct. Uh, and their energy alone is able to burn through not only her constructs, but her personal shielding as well. For uh, the... Uh, uh, just the light constructs, they're still um, 
they're still of matter, so antimatter is just having a heyday on that front. That's a pretty monumental stuff, you know? That's like the major black hole space acid kind of deal, and it's well, scarier than regular acid, that's for sure. I, I'm, I'm spooked by it. Well, uh, you know, it's to no avail before, unfortunately, our poor lantern is no more. Uh, you see her just burn away, and her ring flies off. They call for a vacuum, but there is no answer um, coming from her. As Jay said, she had pretty much just been um, dematerialized. Yeah. Straight up murk, yeah. Uh, now, we do find out that her ring next went to Arissa Rab. Of course, they are of Sector 2815. Oh, that's, that's a pretty convenient neighboring, if I do say so. Uh, not only that, but in Lantern lore... That ring was once Aresia's uncle's ring when he was a Green Lantern. Who was your uncle? Uh, you know, I don't have the name off the top of my head. Uh, however, when he died, yeah, she, you know, the ring got passed on and then leaving a family legacy where she's not only trying to live up to a Lantern's legacy now, she's got to live up to her family name on top of it. That's pretty tight stuff. You know, that's a lot to put on uh, such a small warrior's shoulders. Um, on top of being a Green Lantern, it creates uh, just kind of a colorful sense of creativity for uh, Aresia and uh, her inclusion in the Green Lantern Corps, her self-doubt and her overall willpower to overcome everything. She's been a pleasant inclusion in the Green Lantern Corps. Well, she's running through the corridors. Her ring is bringing her somewhere, trying to guide her. Uh, turns out she is late for a big meeting. Oh, it is a it is a doozy. It is a doozy. Uh, they happen to be making regard of uh, Arcadian's, uh, sorry, Ardaikin's, uh recent death there, uh, regarding the space demons from the antimatter universe. It's there that the lanterns and the guardians are um, diversing the diversing information and notes about uh, the antimatter universe and its uh, overlord, as it were, uh, Krona. And about how he's going to be making way, using these demons to make way into the matter universe. It's going to be the end of creation as they know it. Yeah, of course, uh, those who are familiar with the antimatter universe knows that one day uh, what it will be capable of in Lantern's legacy. Uh, but for now, you know, they've read the book of Oa. The Guardians are aware of what's happening. It's time to evacuate the planet. They need to start putting uh, out a defensive front there. They start sending uh, numerous fleets of lanterns towards the sun, um, keeping this specific space, this um, space of space, uh, like guarded out to make sure that Corona doesn't break through easily. So, Sinestro seems to think that it's a bit extreme for all that to go down, but I mean, he doesn't seem to know the extremity of Corona himself clearly by not believing in. Uh, you know, previous tales told about him. Now, of course, Toma Ray was one of the lanterns set out for that early defense as they started setting up their new, sta uh, uh, like a space station out there. Yeah, a light construct one. That's pretty dope, eh? Yeah. But, you know, they say everyone charge up your rings because we're going to be moving the central battery as well. So, you know, what better way to do this than in a single file lineup? Absolutely, but the Book of Oa and the Lantern Battery, they both get an express route. That's cool. That's all right. That's totally not, you know, conservative at all. Well, you know, one by one, the Lanterns are going up and saying the oath. Um, clearly, the platform has room for at least five people. It has to. I mean, why wouldn't it? Well, uh, one by one until, uh, you know, 
People are getting bumpy. Kellogg's bumping into Arisa just a little bit. Uh, when uh, Hal's apologizing to her, saying, you know, normally you have a little bit more time in training before we send you out for an end-of-the-world event. Yeah, like a couple hours. Uh, you know, and you get a little bit of training, too. You you hear the stories of the lanterns, such as the story of the first lantern. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, the first rodeo won't be the last rodeo, and Hal, of course, tells the tale of which comes from the very first of the lanterns. Uh, and we get to hear that story as well as uh, we start hearing the story of Avra, the first lantern. Now, among the four, among the four, they uh, discussed amongst uh, their denizens that you know four would be selected. I guess as like a prototype run, as it were. Uh, they would need to be well renowned in their uh, activity of just you know compassion, justice, and whatnot. And uh, so the lanterns were dispersed as according to the algorithm in their, you know, power source. So, um, they happen to attach on, and the last one, uh, oh, a you, lot of them consider... You jumped ahead a little bit here, sir. We're introduced first to the planet at war, where, uh, you know, chaos is out balancing creation. No, yes, of course, because you... I seem to forget about the Dominators. They don't get brought up enough. So... Seeing them, like, open things up with pretty much overall control of the universe was just a wacky thing to start off with, but it was a great story told. Yeah, and uh, because of this uh, growing conflict, this is when the Lanterns decided it's time to put together a, a way to stop this, and they gather the light. Knowing that the green would be the most powerful, uh, connected with the one's own willpower, this is when they decided to choose the first four. The overall ability to conquer fear. So those who are willing to put themselves forward in the line of duty, put their line above all else, um, these rings needed to choose carefully. Again, like I was mentioning earlier, because of their algorithm, yeah, I did jump ahead on what was going on in the story arc there. But um, now that we're actually here, you know, uh, the trial run of the Four Lanterns was uh, specifically chosen by these rings uh, to be the always like defenders. But I don't know why they would have stopped at four. In which case, though, uh, they made their selections, but the last one, the last one happened to make it along to Avra, the chronicler of the Green Lantern Corps. A lot of them called it a fluke, but um, the ring seems to have made its choice. Yeah, I was about to choose this big, beefy-looking guy, because the first three chose, like, uh, Goo, uh, which, uh, you know, shape-shifting pink alien. Yeah. Uh, then there was blue, uh, yellow, uh, stretchy tendrils kind of guy. Uh, watch it, a uh, kind of an aqua light blue female. All right. Uh, and then we were going to get this big beefy looking guy when instead the ring stopped and flew towards the scribe and chose him. Uh, what I thought was cool was the logo on all four of their chests was very reminiscent of the uh, Earth 2 New 52 Green Lantern logo. I did like that. It's, it, is very, it is very similar to that, but I'm fairly certain that came out a while after that. I'm not sure when. Uh, well, I'm sure they've used that logo in other places as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We've uh, seen it on Kyle Rader, actually. That's right. Uh, one of the variations of him, I think it was the anomaly one that um, that he had there. Well, uh, these four lanterns are being sent into battle. They are going to be sent over to this growing conflict. Uh, they are filled with a little bit of self-doubt as they go in. 
Uh, and they go in and do as they do, uh, just using a straight-up laser beam to blast everything they can in sight. Absolutely. Um, and they seem to be taking off, though, rather well for like their very first time out there with this power. They seem to instill a lot of uh, trust in the capability of uh, weapons development from uh, the Guardians. Wild stuff. Well, uh, you know, as well as they start off doing, they do get overwhelmed. Uh, and not just by a little bit, as uh, Watcha is actually killed on duty. She is officially in the history books as the first dead lantern. The ring floated off and made its way back to Oa. Uh, as unfortunate as it was, it was a hell of a battle even still amongst the four going up against as many of the Dominators as possible. But overwhelmed is overwhelmed regardless of how you sugarcoat it. Well, uh, the three remaining decide to take refuge within an asteroid, kind of collect their bearings, decide what they're going to do. And both uh, Blue and Goo decide, you know what, this may not be worth it. I say we just turn tail and run. Uh, Avril, on the other hand, is like, uh, you know what, they told us these rings are fueled on our own willpower, are fueled on our own inner strength. Well, to win this battle, we have to believe we can win this battle. And Homeboy just goes out there and just starts straight fucking people up. He realized that, you know, the, the sheer willpower of their imagination was key to it, and uh, all they had to do was just bring their imagination to life in which that's the message they get across there is that we got to use our creativity to get ahead. We got to really put it, we, we really got to put the idea out there to really make a construct uh, to really finish a project and, or a mission, whatever the case is. And uh, Avra all of a sudden becomes the hero of the day and he unleashes an unsurmountable amount of willpower amongst the dominators. Yeah, like my said, uh, he creates the first... All they know at the time is they can shoot laser beams out of these rings. And throughout his own inner strength, uh, he brings forth a sword. The same sword that's actually on the cover of his scribe book. That is, that's absolutely monumental. I never bothered to take that into consideration. And um, Avra's uh, force of will to be able to create that as the first construct just uh, showed the determination and the due diligence of the Green Lantern Corps to come in the future. Yeah, and with this sword at his side, uh, he inspires the others to rejoin the fight, and we see them starting to create constructs of their own. Sawblades and dragons and lanterns, oh my. It is absolutely monumental just to see the size of these constructs just by following the example and uh, leaning into one's own imagination to create such things. It was a beautiful sight. Well, they do head back to Oa, and uh, the story does continue that, you know, uh, as lanterns fell, their rings were passed on to others, more were forged, first ten more, then a hundred, then enough to cover every sector. Uh, as these lanterns came in, of course they would need training, and Avra would be the one to train these new lanterns on how to make their constructs. There's got to be a monumental amount of lessons in regards to that, being able to utilize the uh, lantern ring for such an occasion. Uh, and, you know, of course, every soldier falls eventually, including Aira. We see his ring passed on generation to generation until that original fourth ring made its way to Avin Sir and Hal Jordan after him. And uh, thus would start the beginning of a new era for the Green Lantern Corps and giving us the gift of Hal Jordan in the near future.
Uh, uh, that that seems to uh, be the showcase of Avra's tale in regards to being one of the first and most monumental Green Lanterns in history. That is, and uh, you know, Kilowog is next in lineup to go uh, charge his ring. Yeah, Hal had his turn, Aresia had hers. It's up to Kilowog now. Absolutely, and Aresia wants to know what's up his butt. Pretty Why is much. He such a grump, Kilowog buddy. You need a hug, a cookie, and maybe a cookie hug, so that way you can celebrate your cookie. Strawberry ice cream. Oh, dear sweet strawberry ice cream. You get that Neapolitan shit, young man. Kilowog loves his strawberry ice cream. If you remember back to the Justice League cartoon, ate all of berries. That's true, yeah. Or Wally's, sorry. Ate all Wally's ice cream on him. Or was it Hal's? Or John's? No. I don't, rem- I don't remember, but I'm fairly certain he was played by Brad Garrett for that. Pretty sure, yeah. Same voice as Lobo. Uh, well, Kilowog starts warning that, you know, uh, gives her a little warning, you know, this battle, it's going to be easier than uh, boot camp training is. Yeah, and she's like, wait, boot camp, what? What's going on? And uh, he happens to, Hal happens to know the tale of boot camp. Not only that, he knows the tale of Kilowog as well, but uh, before we get the Kilowog's tale, let's cut that quick commercial. Yes, yeah, totally cool. We'll be right back with more Kilowog. And we are back, and we are uh, hearing the story of Kilowog as told by Hal Jordan. It turns out Kilowog wasn't this um, gargantuan badass that he was beforehand, uh, or, sorry, that he was uh, currently behaving as at that time uh, to all like the various uh, Green Lanterns that had just been beginning like the new class of them, so he really needed to come down hard on them based on the influence that inspired him when he was in training. And that was with uh, General Deegan. Yeah, not only that, but uh, Tomer Ray was in his class. He was. It was exciting to have him included in the story, too. I mean, Tomer Ray's a fairly popular lantern. It would have sucked to see him left out. Not only that, but it also gives uh, depth to their friendship. Definitely. As well as their experiences, the lingo they pick up, it's become well apparent as to how their characters developed so prominently over the years. Yeah, such as uh, Deegan being the one to use the term poozer. Not a cool little fact about uh, Deegan, uh, the voice actor, same voice actor for Blast for uh, Black Mask and Under the Red Hood. Excuse me. Uh, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of excitement to hear that kind of shouting coming from uh, Deegan. Um, he was a great boot camp leader, and uh, the training regimens wouldn't have been as hilarious uh, as uh, perceived without a voice like that behind them. Well, uh, first uh, test for the class is hand over your rings. I'm going to drop the ground out from under you and uh, drop you onto a sloped hill going into a live volcano. Um, as opposed to having the willpower to use the uh, Green Lantern core rings, you've got to be able to have just an overall insurmountable amount of uh, willpower. And uh, training in this environment under this kind of pressure uh, seems to be the perfect way to get them to recognize that sense of willpower. Apparently. Um, it seems more cruel than anything, but uh, the temperatures in the pillars are spiking up and uh, they're running out of time to get the hell out of there. Yeah, uh, already things are starting to go awry. Uh, I believe it's Tomer Ray slips first. Uh, Kilowog does uh, manage to grab him, throw him up, back up against the wall. And he comes up with a, a smart plan. Hey, line up single file and climb that way. I'll anchor at the bottom to try catch in case anyone falls. 
Kilowog's definitely got the uh, upper body strength for to be able to grab somebody if they fall from a few feet above them. So at the very least, they're in the safest hands possible at the time. Um, there's no means that Kilowog would give up this training regiment. Uh, he knows uh, what it means uh, to become a Green Lantern, and he's got to overcome these odds to show that he deserves the ring. Not only that, but it's showing his leadership at an early uh, point in his career. Absolutely, especially in, in just this kind of high-pressure situation. I mean, for training, just imagine what it'll do out in the field. And Kilowog realized it's just best to take charge of the situation as best you can. Well, sometimes the best you can take charge of a situation is not always the best because the situation takes a hand of you. And that's what happens here as the Earth shakes once more. And the volcano becomes quite active. Yeah, and uh, all this uh, all this going on, and Deacon is just being a complete piece of shit to these guys. And he's like, what, you can't live, like, you can't live through this magma-infested environment? Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, just being a real distraction, which in the long run you can see why he's being a distraction in a moment. Uh, you always have to concentrate as a Green Lantern. Absolutely. And uh, that's in all manner of environments, which they eventually switch up from. Uh, they, he decides that, you know, they deserve a cooler environment, one with a little bit of a breeze to it, you know, to give them a break. Um, probably a break of a few bones as this whirlwind uh, typhoon of an of a environment is just eating them alive. Uh, currents are too strong, the winds are high, and it's eating, them, again, eating them alive out there. And it's a sandy planet at that as well. That's got to be hell in the eyesight and the concentration, you know, just having all of that bombard at you. I mean, sure, it could only be dirt, sand, or mud or whatever, but when it's flying at you at that velocity with that much mass to it, like, continuously, that's a problem. Not only that, moving sand like that uh, will react like a liquid to your touch. So uh, it's only when sand becomes stationary that it becomes hard. Oh, man, that's just... That's just even harder. That sucks. So it's like a liquid sand that has the force against you. As, yeah. uh, once again, Tomer Ray slips and starts being sucked under. Yeah, he doesn't have the broadest figure, but he does do his best. But, you know, um, shit in a mint bush is still going to be shit. And uh, Tomer Ray gets a little swept away by the current. And uh, it starts pulling him away. And, uh, again, you know... He's got to be saved, and Kilowog still refuses to give up, uh, regardless of how much Deacon's demeaning them still. Like, in this environment, like, just dissing them like, you know, they should have experience because it's their first time, but, you know, that's just his boot camp leadership. Wait, did you say shit in a mint bush? Yeah, shit in a mint bush. Alright, just checking. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Kilowog does snap on Deegan, and, uh, you know, Deegan's like, alright, do you want to go? We'll, we'll handle this takes off his own ring and says, all right, let's dance. Calls him right, yeah. Flato calls him right out on his cruelty to his face, and it's just complete insubordination. But Deegan doesn't take that as a term to be solved by the books. And by dropping his ring, he's pretty, he's pretty audacious, uh, to say the least. Uh, Deegan, given his size, but overall experience can be a scary combination, which does end up being the case for poor Kilowog, believing that because he's bigger and possibly stronger than him, that he's not going to get anywhere. Um, that becomes an instant lie as soon as Deegan starts throwing hands, and he kicks his ass. Like, he thoroughly lays a 
beating down on Kilowog, downright embarrassing, slapping him around, and it's just so one-sided for the longest period for uh, for Deegan over Kilowog. Yeah, this definitely isn't the first time that Deegan's had to slap down a bigger recruit. You can tell that for sure. Uh, and, you know, he's about to finish off the fight when Salat calls, and there is a priority one emergency. Salak, a very important name among the Green Lantern Corps, um, pretty much the due to the helm of all the information and all the alerts and jazz, all pretty much the security, and uh, well, from the surveillance area kind of security, you know what I mean? Uh, but uh, yeah, lets them know about what's going on here. Uh, there is a massive attack going down, and they need the Lantern's help. Um, so from there, he Deegan calls together his troop. No time for rest, you know, no rest for the wicked, and they need to start heading down that way. So pretty much right after an ass whooping, Kilowog's back on duty again. I mean, that's a great way to spend your lunch break. Yeah, he uh, basically has to just rush it off and go join up with the others if they've got quite the head start. Absolutely. But uh, once uh, you throw on the ring, your life no longer becomes your own. Um, you are expendable. You are meant to make sure that the innocent stay alive and that you fight for the right reason, more or less. Uh, truth conquers all, you know, good conquering evil, all that bit. So uh, they happen to make their way uh, to this small little village on the planet there, and uh, they're getting a pretty thorough whooping uh, by cronians, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, they are taking massive hits, you know, uh, their populace and their property alike. And um, the rookies of the bunch, the uh, class that's being trained, is sent up by Deegan to uh, go off and make sure that the crowd is okay. Everybody's led in a safe manner away from any danger, while Deegan decides to stay behind and just do a one-man army mission. And uh, this is where we really get to see, like, just how fucking cool Deegan is. He is that just... Um, kind of a bad-mouthing vigilante kind of character like a stone-cold steve austin kind of dude where he gives no fucks but he still does what he has to oh yeah you know uh taking on a tanker single-handedly it's just blasting him straight in the face uh you know he starts the oath in brightest day and blackest nights go to hell you bastards i love that that was just a monumental way of uh, expressing his willpower. And um, though he still has a great amount of charge to him to fend off these foes, um, there's really uh, no need to hold back on the niceties when it comes to, you know, overall bickering. What Like, what's a little bit of um, supervillain banter between hero and bad guy, right? Well, he forms a drill construct himself going straight through the barrel of the tank, taking it out. Uh, almost himself in the process as well, if not for Kilowog making the save just in time. Yeah, that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, it was upsetting to see that he got overwhelmed. Uh, all the all the Cronians coming in, uh, just as uh, just as the Dominators have, uh, just as uh, many evil armies in the cosmos have risen. Um, they just kept coming, and <clears throat> thanks to uh, pardon me, thanks to um, the right on time interference of Kilowog. Deegan got to live for a few more minutes. Um, when it comes down to uh, a rookie like that, you would think that he stands no chance, but Kilowog really understands what it means to be a Green Lantern, the willpower to put you know yourself above all else and go out there and fight for that with your very life, with your very existence, using any and every amount of imaginative willpower you have. And he unleashes hell like no other. 
Oh, yeah, he really lights up the sky uh, with, like, a big taser blast just to use a non-lethal option to take out all of the enemy at once. It was mad. I thought he was just going to right out explode and take everything with him in the meanwhile there. Like, the Green Lantern Corps would have their own nuclear bomb in Kilowog. That would have been wild. <laughs> well, you know, he practically was, although he did have that restraint, knowing that the Lanterns do not have that capacity to kill. No, and it's sad that they had to, like, write it in as a rule of thumb that the Green Lantern, the power of the Green Lantern is not to be used as lethal force. Um, which would have helped them in a lot of situations, but <laughs> uh, they're a kind of police force that stands for, you know... Uh, a pretty a pretty good sense of justice. Uh, well, you know, if they did have that lethal force, I bet within three volumes we'd have defund the Green Lantern Corps trending. Just might. <laughs> um, GLM. GLM. Oh. It's, uh, well, uh, Deacon is taking his dying breaths as Kilowog is there with him. And in a nice moment, because the rookies do not have their insignia on the chest yet... Deegan uses his own blood and draws Kilowog's Green Lantern on his chest with his dying breath. I found that was just kind of a pretty pretty emotional moment there, Um, but it really um, puts in a a scary notion about being an agent of the Green Lantern Corps. You know, having the symbol in blood, you know, it's pretty much your right of blood. you're at like multitudes of uh, members of your enemies, uh, platoons have died. And so those same people who shot your teammates, you wear his blood as memory. And that's just kind of spooky. Yeah. You know, uh, forget your pregnant wife at home, Kilowog. You are in charge of this group now. And he steps up to the challenge, leading the team saying, Hey, all these unconscious people are going to wake up and be pretty pissed off. We might want to get them under control. Yeah. Um, there would, uh, not be any good coming of just, you know, upright leaving from there, uh, having the random body of a dead Green Lantern there. Who knows what would have happened from that point if they didn't continue to fix things post the fight, post losing Deegan. But, um, they had to, they had to take him back though. Um, Kilowog comes up with uh, the coolest little construct coffin, um, not that it's cool that he had to, though, but... Uh... No, just a really respectful version of it. Yeah. And with Kilowog taking command and then apprehending the villain, that was the end of Kilowog's story, as Helen Arisa are now flying in space. Oh. They didn't talk to anybody on the way off just to let them know what's going on. They just, wow, people just came along, destroyed our planet, fought other people, and now it's all over. What the hell? <laughs> This is the worst Thursday ever. When in that time, it was probably, in fact, Saturday. Guy just sitting in a convenience store. I'm not even supposed to be here today. We cut over to Kyle. Hi, I'm Kyle Rayner. And this was a story about Kilowog, but I felt the need to be included because my girlfriend was stuffed in a fridge. I really thought you were going for a Kyle Smith joke there. We may as well call him Kyle Smith because he'd seem like the guy like, yeah, your story was pretty bogus and, you know, you lost all your family, but my girlfriend was stuffed in the fridge. Like, he is the he is the artist, like the starving artist kind of guy, so he's definitely going to have that little bit of... Um... Really? Starving and there's something in the fridge? I mean, 
Sean is giving me a look right now. Uh-oh, uh-oh. What, what's important is that there were leftovers. He was starving artist because she ate everything in the fridge when she was shoved in there. That was actually Kyle's fault. It wasn't made. They just pinned it on major force. Kyle was just like, you ate my leftover macaroni. And then he stuffed her in a fridge. Exactly. She ate all the food. Well, Helen and Arisa do arrive at the space station that has been set up, the outposts. They managed to meet up with Sinestro, don't they? Yes, Sinestro reports into them. And, uh, you know, just yonder, meditating, Lara senses something uh, much deeper is going on. Well, yeah, there seems to be um, a deity of an antimatter universe trying to squeeze through and, and do away with the regular matter universe, and um, that causes problems. You know, she senses a uh, proverbial disturbance in the Force. As it were, and it brings a lot of concern. Uh, Arisa starts asking about her now, and Hal's like, well, uh, you haven't, we haven't talked about her yet. Let me tell you the story of her first mission when she had to, you know, not only strike out on her own for the first time, but her mission brought her to her own home planet of Jade. Lyra is a fantastic Green Lantern, and of course, those of you who have delved into the Warlight and progressing on forward from there have come to know, like, uh, the deeper, um, mon like, monumental moments in Lyra's existence in the comics especially in the Green Lantern arcs, multitudes of uh, light-based wars and um, uh, various missions and so forth have turned her into just the memorable character that she's become in that time frame. Yeah, she's definitely someone that they could have done just a mini-series just on her own fleshing out this character based on this short story alone. Absolutely. Uh, Lyra was the first um, of the Green Lanterns, I believe, to be taken into the Red Lantern fold. Uh, after, uh, of course, Guy Gardner toying with it. Oh my goodness, I totally forgot about Guy. My goodness. <laughs> you see that, like, uh, covering the Green Lantern stuff just gets you all hyped up because you're learning uh, moments that, you know, you don't remember right off the bat for certain characters, and their involvement is just even more monumental than the characters mentioned right now. Well, so, you see that <laughs> shelf just over to the side of us there, sir. That is a shelf. That seems to have uh, books uh, highly labeled as uh, Green Lantern books for the majority of it from what I see there. That, that's right. I suggest you start on the far left and just work your way over. Everything from the Warlight forward has been uh, nothing but just a, like a rock show, pretty much. Uh, the Green Lantern Corps has uh, gone through like the best and worst of it. Well, uh, Lara does arrive on Jade, where she is greeted by Ryu. Oh, man. Uh, where's my where's my paddle? Where's my paddle? All right. Round one. All right. Hadouken. Hadouken. No, not Ryu. Ryu. Actually, his name's Ryu. Well, it, this is spelled R-E-E apostrophe Y-U. Oh, and the Ryu in Street Fighter, um, the Japanese name for dragon, is uh, in uh, Street Fighter R-Y-U. It was just the sound that got me out. Hadouken! Ah, oh, damn it, I lost. But uh, at any rate, um, yeah, Ryu is there, and, well, it's not like they're all hugs and, you know, how are yous. Oh no, because Ryu is uh, not only the head of the Golden Dragon's uh, army here, but she also happens to be Lara's father's lover. That's, uh, yeah, she's a weird looking stepmom. 
that's just the gold mask that looks really weird. Let it be known, Lyra's dad is married to Goldar. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, uh, of course, things do not go well upon her arrival, and they do have themselves just a little bit of a fight. A little bit of a fight. They full out, yo, you better not, like, be trying to get in my dad's, like, inheritance and stuff. Uh, well, after taking down Ryu, she talks to the general of the army, saying that she just wants to come here and talk as an emissary. That's it. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, and she is brought to the next, uh, you know, trial, I guess, that she's facing, which turns out to be her brother, Shellac. Yeah, didn't you find it weird how easily she was able to just pass through after that huge, like, scuffle with her stepmother? That was, it, that was it, just messed up. It just shows that even they're like, yo, fuck this bitch. Yeah, and... All the dudes, part of the Royal Guard and everything, are just like, you know what? You guys want to squabble and whatnot? We can leave. We'll go to Burger King for a little bit. You guys can have it out. Well, Shalk also has his own ability as uh, somehow he can go invisible. Oh, man. That's probably one of the more tougher styles of opponent to beat is. I mean, it's one thing to be stealthy, but it's one thing to be just downright invisible. That's cheap shit. Well, she decides after a few rounds of uh, being attacked, fuck this noise raises her ring up, and blasts like a wind-like energy coating the entire room so she can see every piece of movement happening, just the energy of... That's a pretty clever thing to do, because if you can track movement, kind of like uh, creating uh, an infrared kind of environment, and uh, be able to track them from there, just based on a construct on your own willpower, that's uh, that seems pretty complicated and pretty difficult to do. Well, you know, she does manage to easily dispose of her brother that way before making her way into the thorn, uh, throne room and uh, from there into the chambers in the back, uh, her own, her childhood room. Uh, a variety of uh, trinkets seem to be lying about, but one that comes out in uh, the most attentive style is this weird, um, what seems to be well-constructed, like handmade, well-constructed Fabergé-like egg. And it seems to start playing like a childhood memory recorded into a device within its shell. And um, just uh, going through time, just like uh, remembering uh, the good shit with her dad and all that. Um, well, that's who we happen to meet next in uh, this uh, family conflict. Um, the one who was waiting for her at the very end. And it was her dad. Yeah, he's got her old doll in his hand saying, you know, we never could figure out how to fix the arm on this for you. Uh, I see you're a Green Lantern. Uh, let me tell you the story of the first time a Green Lantern visited our world. And he goes on to uh, way back. Uh, who were they at war with? I missed the name of who they were at war with. Uh, although, in, in the heat of the battle, uh, Zelius Zed showed up. Not Zelius Zox, but his predecessor. I didn't know there was more than one of them that... Uh, oh, yeah, that the entire ranks. species... Get out of town, huh? Is, uh, ...is like that. There's even a member of them that's a Red Lantern. You know what? That's right, there is. I just thought it was coincidental, but they seem to hunt them out religiously then. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible stuff. But um, this Celius, uh, he does his best to help out. He's sent there to help protect this planet. And just like um, those before him, they wound up getting overwhelmed. Like, uh, just flat out outnumbered at an alarming rate and taken down um, with each, like, 
little step of excessive force going towards him. Yeah, he does sacrifice himself, saving Lara's father. Uh, and once he died, uh, the king tried to grab the ring for himself. However, it ducked him. Absolutely. Uh, he thought it for him because of his leadership, because he's king, you know, uh, he's top of the bill. So clearly it's going to go to him. But the ring, as it did before, sought out those that they would believe, based on their algorithm, had the greatest will to them, uh, the greatest uh, the sense of uh, justice, fairness. Um, I'm guessing anything that would have to do with your generic willpower and imagination. And Lyra was there, and Lyra was the one it chose. And uh, she did the one thing that Zelius should have done, and that's raise her ring up to the sky and call for backup. Yeah, that was that was pretty interesting from there. I mean, she, she imagined help, and uh, the best thing that could occur from there was a signal to, like, come and help. Yeah, being, you know, uh, around armies all the time, uh, she realized the situation, called for backup, and that's what she got. Uh, she got all the usual boys, like the higher-up fellas, and they rained a storm down um, on the opposing army. Uh, thus taking them down, uh, securing uh, the planet's safety. But Lyra's father felt uh, emasculated. Uh, he felt as though that uh, his power had been taken away and that he would be nothing to his people. Yeah, uh, in the story now, he's telling her you have to choose between the two. Uh, and of course, she's choosing the core. So he says he'll fight her for it. Because it seems that choosing uh, those of her own lineage would mean um, to follow through with a sense and plan of revenge, in which case goes against everything that Lyra's uh, stood for all the past while that she's been in possession of the Green Lantern Ring. Um, her presence in the Green Lantern Corps has been uh, a memorable one from the time that she's been there, especially in regards to her first mission. Um, you know, she decided that you know she wasn't going to live this life of hate as it was and uh, having her father's revenge as a life goal didn't really seem productive so of course she's not going to follow with that she chooses the lantern corps and um well he wants the power he doesn't really want lyra and oh yeah he uh takes a sword and stabs it right into her <laughs> collarbone pinning her against the wall uh before reaching down and literally peeling the ring off of her hand they had a hell of a fight on the way there, and it seems as though her father matches the power of the Green Lanterns uh, fairly well, given the current state of their weaponry. And uh, going to the point where he's able to take the ring, that doesn't necessarily mean that he then wields the power. It is still assigned to its designated wielder. But that comes in for a handy surprise as Lyra is pinned up, and uh, the father, you know, seems to try and get his point across about, you know, her irrelevancy because of the choices she made about how soft she became uh, under the tutelage of the uh, Guardians. Um, she, of course, uh, you know, does not agree with this. And she reminds her father of her worth, especially as a Green Lantern. And she finally winds up, uh, you know, taking the finishing blow, setting his hand on a construct of fire, you know? That was a pretty interesting makeup. I mean, she even managed to mimic the heat of it, which was just driving him mental. She got, um, she unpinned herself, sorry, uh, from the wall, and uh, from there she finally takes the finishing blow on her father, defeating him. 
Yeah, he can't live with knowing that he has lost this battle. And uh, trying to save face, he grabs a sword and plunges it into his own stomach. Yeah, it only took a little bit, and um, she didn't use any of the lantern power to stop it. She just said, no, don't, please. And that was it. He wasn't he wasn't sticking around in a world where he was just going to lose all of his battles. And of course, this by birthright means the army is now hers to lead, if she were to so choose. Uh, however, she leaves it up to the general as she chooses the, the Lantern Corps. I'm certainly hoping that Lyra made the right decision as to who to lead the planet to, but she seems to have a good judge of character when it comes to the current amount of people that she's currently run into on her planet so far. So given those that were around her and those uh, how they addressed uh, and handled their situation with her, um, it does speak volumes, but it doesn't tell us the overall worth of said person. Um, just because they have a, a military rank doesn't mean that they're fit to lead a planet. So um, it's... Pretty much, a, it's pretty much just a hot potato thing. Like, yo, I don't want this. I'm happy with my life right now. And uh, then we cut back to the space station, and we will cut to commercial and be right back. So we are back, and uh, some of the other lanterns are listening into Hal and Aritza's conversations, and they're teasing. Hey, you haven't hold, told her anything about Mogo yet? Absolutely. Uh, Kilowog and Tilmar um, initially. Uh, popped in to report to uh, Hal about the situation report and um, how things are steadily increasing for the worse out there. But um, amongst all the hanging out with Hal Jordan in the meantime of um, waiting for everything to go down, all those stories, and like Jay said, they were surprised he hasn't mentioned Mogo at all. Yeah, when she asks about who Mogo is, uh, they kind of chuckle a bit and say, you know, uh, he's not really the social type. They were chuckling about it because we as fans know what that means. They as lanterns who are experienced and well-renowned with other lanterns, they know what that means. But uh, Arisa, she does not. No, the, the new little rookie. Yeah, she's totally confused by it. And um, from there, Hal takes off with Arisa shortly after we're uh, on their patrol there. Hal and Arisa can talk about who Mogo is. And he starts telling her about the time that Mogo took on Bullfunga the Unrelenting, uh, voiced by the legendary and late Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, this out of all of Hal's stories is probably my favorite, not just because of uh, Piper, but just in general, I think this is the most fun. Absolutely. Just a, seeing a man uh, explore the cosmos for something that's been right under his nose the whole time. Well, it starts off as uh, Belfunga the Unrelenting is going to pick uh, a fight uh, with Cloba uh, Vud. Cloba <laughs> um, Vud, aside from uh, Belfunga, is one of the uh, galaxy's still most well-renowned warriors, and to defeat them uh, would uh, just uh, document their history as the greatest warrior in the universe. So, of course, they need to uh, they need to exchange hands. Uh, and by that we mean literally, as throughout the fight, Belfunga chops off all four of Clobavud's hands. Yeah, they travel about, they meet up, and then they start scrapping about, getting well acquainted with each other, doing the dance, and then all of a sudden, just schling, 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 and just right off. Nothing to defend himself with, and uh, the Vud is there is defeated fairly easily. 
Yeah, it's uh, at this point that he looks up at him. He's like, hey, if you're looking for the greatest fight of all, I don't know why you came to me. Uh, you should go hunt out Mogo. He is undefeated. Absolutely. Um, let's not put to rest the fantastic pun that uh, Belfunga put out there about uh, disarming his opponent, both figuratively and literally. Well, literally and literally. Even more literally than literally. <laughs> literally. Literally. Well, so upon this a new information of finding out there is a better opponent out there than even Belfunga himself, that this just will not sit well. It is Mogogogo. No, just Moga. Moga, go, go. Moga, go, go. Moga, go, go. Well, Bofunga decides that it's time to Mo go to the, uh, this location himself. So that way he can find he who is Moga, go, go. He does find out the, the sector, the uh, area that he's in. He goes and, you know, he finds this nice lush planet and yeah, sends out his drones. It, it is a beauty of a planet there. Um, he sends out these energy balls to go looking for uh, energy signatures around the planet, or at least around the area he's in. All the while, um, he's screaming out, calling out for Mogo Gogo to come out and fight him, you know, be a warrior, you know, have a clash of legends. You know, he's chopping down trees as he goes. He's calling out for Mogo. Uh, when these drones are detecting a lantern energy signal. All of them are. Um, it's very weird because it's taken not, you know, just a little while. It's taken a long while, like a really long while to be able to actually lock on to actual Green Lantern energy. Yeah, he decides just these few uh, drones aren't enough. We'll just scrap these ones, destroy them. Uh, and send out hundreds to map out the entire planet. He destroyed a needless amount of droids, like, capable to him, to pretty much just express his anger a little bit, because nothing is going on, and he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. So he, He's been there for months now at this point. And it's driving him mad. So he finally just kind of collects himself and decides that, you know what, I'm just going to put, like, these kind of robot-related, like, um, sensory bombs just down in random spots on the planet. And then from there, when they pick up the energy signature, the charge will go off, leaving me time to go and finish off my prize. Yes, yeah, so uh, each bomb off that way, it will cross over with the other ones around its radius, meaning the entire planet will be covered in explosions. And this lantern will have nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, take me on to the other side. And he will be ready to, you know, go down and fight. So he, he maps out the planet 100%, boom, sets off these bombs, and the planet heals itself. Now, the thing about the setting off of multiple bombs was that it wasn't just a couple of bombs that went off. The entirety of the surface that had bombs on it went off simultaneously. So uh, this giant ring of explosions and this just mess of um, combustions have gone haywire all over the planet. And from there, an energy signature starts to reveal itself as the planet begins uh, healing the blows that was struck. And the energy formed into the symbol of the Green Lantern Corps. 
and so it was unveiled to Balfunga, the unrelented, who still continued relenting, that the entire planet itself is Mogo. Mogo Gogo! Yeah, he decides a good old fuck this, gets in his ship and goes to take off when Mogo uses tractor beam-like energy to pull back, start ripping away at the ship piece by piece. Absolutely, and it is something out of a horror film. For This is pretty much the equivalent to friggin' Tremors for uh, these space aliens, and so it was from there that Balfunga had officially relented. And thus concludes the story of Mojo, or Mogo. <laughs> you and your fucking monkey. <laughs> there is no monkey, there is only a planet, and that planet is the most powerful planet among all the warriors, and all those warriors are no match for Mogo Gogo. I'm getting a death glare just for calling him a monkey. What? Is he not a monkey with a super intelligent brain? Yes, but you just don't go around calling him a monkey. <laughs> yes, but you don't just go around calling him a monkey. We need to respect the proper pronouns for Mojo Jojo. He has a name. He has a name. Alright, well, uh. Mojo Jojo. This is when the demons do start to arrive out of the, uh, the sun. Absolutely. It was time for a new story to be written in the chapters of uh, the Green in the Tales of the Green Lanterns. And uh, Hal and Aresia start that tale of uh, by being uh, ambushed by the uh, space demons that were coming through for them. These shadows that are so unrelenting to matter itself that they could probably devour them in sheer moments. Um, from uh, just a disadvantage, they managed to spice things up by having Lyra and Kilowog jump in the fight, two of the lanterns previously mentioned in the primary stories of this film. And it was a nice little bit of attendance for them to jump into the fray, you know? You're all hyped up from their back tails. Now you want to see what they can do in the present day, especially against one of the most dominant threats in existence in Krona. So by having them join in the fray as things started to, you know, fare itself out, it wasn't just uh, those two that jumped in. Sinestro busts in, and he starts cracking skulls, and the fight just takes a turn for the worst for the bad guys. Um, Sinestro, uh, his presence just seems to do that, and the fight seems to end pretty abruptly from there. Uh, at least from the perspective of Aresia, who is KO'd. Yeah. Uh, and of all people, when she wakes up, uh, Sinestro is at her side. Yeah, um, she was just, you know, out and she needed at least somebody to watch her just in case. So with Sinestro there, um, he incited some of his wisdom on his point of views and then went on to relate that by telling the tale of Adam Sir's encounter with a very familiar evil um, that we happen to come to know and love in the coming years from uh, that time. Yeah, uh, the story starts off as Adam Sir is fighting off with uh, what only looks like to us at the time as a Lantern Hunter, which is a bounty hunter that hunts down members of the Green Lantern Corps. He is an assailant of darkness and an emissary of evil. It is, um, it is a very deadly time for the Lanterns to have opponents that can just hunt them down and kill them like this. Uh, so, of course, uh, they happen to have their little scuffle back and forth. And uh, Sinestro pops in to save the day after this assailant happens to reveal himself uh, to both lanterns. 
Yeah, you know, uh, Avinster went in fighting at, uh, his ring was at 1.7%. His adversary Ooh. held his charge battery during this entire fight. That's right. That was a hell of a skirmish that they had, and uh, having this being take hold of the lantern um, was just a taunting feature to behold. It was uh, certainly a show of dominance uh, for this unknown alien at the time until we get uh, introduced to him shortly later. Yeah, it is, uh, once it get, the ring gets to about 1%, 1.5%, that Sinestro does make the save. Uh, he and Avancer then take off into space to, uh, you know... Uh, Lock his ass up. Not only that, but they find the, a busted ship floating out in space and patch it as they discuss their different philosophies on what the Lantern Corps could actually be. That's... Um... A great conversation between the two guys. Uh, Sinestro still stick to his guns, uh, regardless of what animated feature or comic that he's in. Um, his mentality about what the Guardians stand for and how they handle their law enforcement um, doesn't seem to sit too well with progression in the known universe. But uh, it is, you know, destiny that Avin leans towards, and uh, he feels as though if that was his destiny, he would be closer to achieving it. Um, things would go in the way that Sinestro would insist, as opposed to, you know, um, following down your path accordingly, uh, not cheering off from what destiny has to offer. And, uh, you know, it's just a debate as to how things would be more efficient in the known universe. Yes, because of Abin Sir's belief in the prophecy of Blackest Night, that he did help actually uh, found things like the Indigo Tribe. Oh my god, yeah. Those guys were pretty cool. Except their oath was a little different. Just knock. Uh, there is actually a translation for it. Yeah. But knock. Yeah. Knock, knock. Who's that? Oh, I see what you did. I see what you did. Lantern core joke. I got it. Let's see here. Well, uh, they do discuss uh, their different philosophies as they patch up the ship. Uh, get it going on its way. Was it fate that the lanterns were there, or was it luck? That's basically what their uh, ideals boil down to. Yeah, and uh, they need to separate from that point. Uh, Sinestro has, uh, you know, concerns he needs to address, and of course, uh, this young man tailing behind in the light construct cuffs needs to be put away. So Abin takes him along, flies him through the remainder of the route, and uh, then locks him in there. It is uh, from a brief conversation regarding uh, this unknown assailant seeing the future of uh, Abin Sir and his death and showing how uh, a terrible war, a war of light, would uh, ravage the universe and just turn it into an overall mess bent on just pretty much dying out at the last moment. Yeah, he too believes in the prophecies and uh, even warns of Sinestro's downfall and turn to the yellow as we uh, find out that Avinsur is locking up Atrocitus on Yisimult of Section 666. And uh, if you uh, have uh, read uh, the pretty much the introduction of the Red Lanterns, you know, uh, about Atrocitus' as, you know, manhunt for Sinestro... Um, Abinsur no longer being around, of course, uh, both in this animated feature as well as the comic arcs make it a little difficult for any revenge to be had on that front, if that were the case. And, uh, 
it's a it's a wild read for sure uh all the names included all the force necessary to use against the red lanterns was crazy and uh, again just the overall storytelling and what leads to the war of light was just fantastic even all the fallout from the war of light uh the red lanterns comic itself which is like a biker gang in space and they have proceeded well since uh, being involved in the Green Lantern Corps antic, going off on their own and having a, just a monumental influence on the, on the universe. Um, their, their rage, unparalleled to anyone else, and it just creates a, a great sense of creativity in the DC universe. It's nice to have um, non-Earth-based vigilantes or anti-heroes uh, being represented. And who doesn't love a pissed-off, angry cat that can spit blood at you. A very scared puppy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, our cat upstairs, Bob's, if uh, you could get a red lantern ring, he would get one based on his hatred for Shauna. Absolutely. <laughs> I went up there ten minutes ago, and uh, I couldn't even get to the top stair, and he hissed at me five times and ran down the hall. Yeah, see, he hates her with an undying rage. Only because I clean his ears. God forbid the cat hears properly, ladies okay. and gentlemen. Well, Aricia is scared that, uh, you know, this coming of Krona, is this the prophecy? Uh, <laughs> and she actually feels fears that this is the blackest night, which, that's cute. Absolutely. Um Hearing the likes of uh, the rumor of Sinestro uh, starting his own army to take over the universe with um, was uh, just horse hockey, as it were. Um, and then uh, going into the whole like possibility, the whole sense of worry, like, what if this is the blackest night that they've spoken so much about? I mean, Arisha has no idea. She's so young and new to the core, just being, you know, like a physics student one moment and then a soldier the next is completely overwhelming um, yeah she is actually still a teenager and because of the ring it actually gives her an elder appearance oh man it is uh yeah yeah shauna's just hearing that what makes it even worse is in the comics she uses this elder appearance to seduce hal jordan Ew. That's weird, who goes man. for it. That's like an original, original Reed Richards Sue Storm relationship. Yeah, kind she's of thirteen, there. and Hal goes for it. Well, she's the one luring him, which is really unfair. But hey, man, if you're gonna do it, thirteen. <laughs> He's like thirty. Space is weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is now on with Crota as the demons and he are both coming through the sun. And we actually get a Princess Lavandi shot. Oh, that we do. It was a it was a fun little shot there, you know. Um, all those landers there. Having her involved was a, a fairly unique fire off there. Uh, amongst all the well-renowned names that we're all familiarized with, uh, even just learning at the time of this of this movie, um, they're all putting forth this grand effort to defend the known universe against the antimatter universe. And uh, Corona's throwing every little bit he's got at these guys. And uh, as this fight's going down, you know, he's trying to break his way through so he can come through into the mat known matter universe. Yeah, also floating around, uh, besides a lot of the ones that we'd already uh, expect, like Isamat Cole, Greenman, uh, Princess Lavandi, like I said, uh, 
Archimist Chuck is there, and so is Medfil, which I thought was really cool. Medfil is the one that kind of looks like a mix between a tree and a giant stalk of broccoli. Oh, he looks pretty cool. I don't mind. I don't mind that one. I like. I like broccoli. Broccoli is one of the coolest vegetables ever, and um, so I'm totally down for a broccoli lantern. Yeah, Medfil. <laughs> Medfil. Yeah. His name is Paul now. <laughs> Well, uh, being a physics th- student at the time, Arisha actually comes up with a plan herself, saying, you know, he's coming from the antimatter universe. Shouldn't we just hit him with matter of greater or equal size to balance it out? And all the other landers were like, that was my second guess. Uh, then they decided, you know what? Oa's completely empty. Not even the power battery's on there. It's big enough. He wants Oa. Let's just give it to him. Now, wouldn't it be cool if out of all the lanterns, you know, Kyle was on Oa and he was going through the fridge of just like, you know, the lounge room and everything like that, taking everyone's snacks as they were gone. And all of a sudden he feels this sudden whiplash as he's being thrown into his son. <laughs> he's like, well, that's what I get for taking Kilowog's brownies. No, no, that, that the last lantern that was sitting on there was the one that was supposed to uh, protect Krypton. Oof. Yikes. That's going to be an awkward bit to put on your resume. Um, well, yeah. They, yeah, they decided to take the planet, literally shove it in Crota's face. But there isn't enough oomph to push it in his face. Um, they need that lot of power to be able to do so. And uh, from there, um, Aris is just reminded about the importance of using her imagination. And so she needs to imagine the amount of power it would take to force a mass that size into the antimatter universe, just to slap Cronus around a little. And she takes a play out of Lara's playbook and imagines Mogo showing up to help out. She sends out a mass text saying, hey, happy Thanksgiving. We need uh, to whoop this guy's ass, XOXO. And um, Mogo just out of thin air, he's like, yo, what up? Yeah, just floats up out of nowhere, blasts at, uh, I'm going to guess, not quite full power for Mogo. Uh, I would imagine that's not full power for Mogo, but even still, that is a monumental amount of energy coming through and uh, at this planet. And from the size of a regular lantern, that's got to be awe-inspiring. And with this, they are able to shove Oa into Krona's face, sending him back through the portal of the sun. So they threw a rock at him. Hit him in the eye, he stumbled and slipped from how he was climbing out, and the door closed behind him. Pretty much. Uh, and then the glowing energy that they bestowed upon Oa caused the sun to glow green as well. That's pretty cool. I like that. A, a green sun, just a sun made of pure willpower energy, and that's how they put the energy in the battery. That'd be wild. Well, from there, they're like, hey, Mogo's going to be our temporary base for now. We're going to set up the central battery and the books of Oa here until we get a new planet built. Somebody's just going to use uh, empathic abilities and uh, they're going to just kind of feel how Mogo's feeling like, Mogo, what are you so nervous about? Everybody's putting up tents on the base of my ass crack and it feels (laughs) so goddamn weird. Wait, where do you poop? Little volcanoes. They go poop, poop, poop. And that's how I fly through space. Boot, 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 boot. What? Yeah, little volcanoes for farts, so we can jettison himself, so we can just gently cruise. And then when he cruises by moons, hello moon, you cannot cruise through space, for I am go go go. 
All right. Well, uh, it is a quarter after two after all. Yeah, we're going to wrap this up in a minute. Uh, it does turn out that Aresia's story has actually now been entered into the Book of Oa as well. So the next time around they happen to do this, they can actually tell the tale of Aresia as a monumental, inspirational uh, discussion as she's had with previous lanterns before. Uh, so overall, I fucking love this film. Uh, it gives great depth to the entire Lantern mythos and, and really shows you why they're important to the overall DC universe. It, re it really does, you know, it's showing that the title Green Lantern isn't just on a soul figure alone, but there are so, there are so much more uh, conflicts and planets and galaxies all over the known universe that have a just the same kind, if not um, more impactful issues than Earth already does. So by having all these different trials, tribulations, training, uh, times of war, and actual political conflict in general, uh, you can be rest assured there's always at least one Green Lantern in the sector to be able to just to level things out on a passive basis. Now, what I didn't like about this film is the fucking cock tease it gave us of teasing us with the War of Light, uh, yet here we are nine years later and we still haven't seen that in animated form. Absolutely. Please, DC, keep on giving us out random Justice League movies instead of monumental story arcs that should be animated to begin with. Or countless Batman films every year. Uh, yeah. Uh, because if there's one thing this world needs, and that's more Batman. We got the message. His sidekick is Robin. Well, from there, we've actually got a call-in from a Green Lantern fan. Uh, he calls himself the Emerald Enthusiast. I know he's got his own uh, show on YouTube. Uh, and he also reviews Green Lantern statues and action figures on his Twitter page as well. That's pretty awesome stuff. I imagine we got his uh, know-abouts, like his uh, whereabouts we can find him. Yeah, I will grab that, and uh, as soon as we get back from hearing his thoughts... Uh, I'll give you his Twitter information. Fantastic. It's always good to make sure you know what you're getting into and know where to find him. So when it comes to Green Lantern Emerald Knights, I really like the large scale, the large scale storytelling. You know, this idea that the Green Lantern Corps is something that's very ancient because in the comics, the Green Lantern Corps has existed for billions of years. And I really liked the montage in the Avarice story where we see generations upon generations of ring wielders. Uh, I thought that was a very important visual. I also like that we see various ring functions. You know, Lyra creates hand-to-hand -hand weaponry for small-scale battles, whereas Kilowog, in his story, does a taser sweep. And uh, I thought that was really cool to see a large-scale weapon. And likewise, I liked, I really liked the Kilowog story because, uh, you know, Sergeant Deegan was adapted from Lantern Army which uh, who that character shows up in Blackest Night again to torment Kilowog. And I also appreciate that we see 
you know they the this movie delves deeply into the lantern lore for villains you know we see crona we see atrocitus we see bolfunga the unrelenting and uh, it didn't just rely on sinestro and uh, I, I appreciated that especially since we had previously seen sinestro in first flight so this movie it did a lot of things right in showing that the green lantern corps story is a panoramic one it's really large and it's really old and uh i appreciated that type of storytelling all right so thank you to at emerald enthusi one for calling in with his quick review and thoughts on uh, green lantern emerald knights make sure to check out his statue reviews and uh, all of his projects that he's got going on with uh his multiverse network Absolutely. You can check him out on YouTube as well. He's got a couple of videos out there primarily focusing on the Green Lantern and also touching down on some of the Dark Knight's death metal stuff. So definitely go on YouTube, check him out. He's going to create even more fantastic content regarding uh, any reviews uh, around uh, any likes of uh, figures, other merchandise uh, from the DC Universe, primarily focusing on the Green Lantern stuff. So you can find him at the Emerald Enthusiast on YouTube. Give a like, subscribe, drop that notification bell so the next time he happens to come at you with some cool merch, then uh, you can see what's the lowdown on that. Get your fan base on and celebrate part of the Green Lantern continuities. Let him know that we sent you as well. Uh, also, if you want your voice heard with your review, make sure to hop over to anchor.com slash review slash messages, and you too can have your thoughts on every episode, uh, such as next week, we are going to be doing Batman Superman Public Enemies. Absolutely, and that's going to contain a large variety of villains, a multitude of reasons to fight beside and or submit the likes of Superman and Batman to long arm of the law. And there is a reason why we're doing it the first week of December and that's public enemy number one. Absolutely. And that is the reason why I attacked the Wonder Woman movie we were going to review. It wouldn't give me a rematch for the championship. So I hired thugs to go up behind the movie and then kick it over and it'll never come back for revenge. That's me. Wonder Woman! Oh, yeah, I... Yeah, she didn't, her, her memory came back and haunted me. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm coming up as uh, the public enemies, uh, and uh, it features way more superheroes than uh, Wonder Woman would have had to offer anyway. I don't see that movie coming back for a rematch anytime soon. Uh, it does want something scheduled around WrestleMania. I am going to try to put something on the cards for it. That's totally fine. I'm a fighting champion. And with that, uh, to stay up to date with us as well, make sure you like, you share, you subscribe, tell your friends about us, and you know, we're honest, give us at least a three-star review on any of your review platforms. I mean, we wouldn't mind. And uh, We, also we, we wouldn't mind, mind a five, but we're yeah. honest, you know, give, give us a three. Come on now. We'll do our best. Six. I'll take a negative seven. Six. Shauna says give us a... Six at best. Even though the scale only goes up to five. I don't care. Six at best. Perfect. Well, hey, if you want to find us online, Shauna, where the, where the hell can the people find you? Um, She's um, over here. She's just been over here the whole time. <laughs> Walking around, knitting. Yeah. Um, on Twitter, it's at space or six space hair. On Instagram, it's sick little one. 
And on Facebook, I think it's just Shauna MC. Look up Mookie Stuff Buddies. Yeah, Look Mookie up Mookie Stuff Buddies at Mookie Stuff. Uh, Mookie's Buddies on Facebook or on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you uh, want any gluten-free uh, tips or anything, I have a Gluten's the Devil uh, Twitter and Instagram account. You've heard their commercials on this show. Mize, where the fuck can the people find you? Uh, just, you know, like usual, Mize1987 on uh, Twitter. One Man Mize on Instagram, and uh, that's uh, pretty much it for me. You know, I'm pretty well-renowned. And uh, yeah, that's where you can get at me again. I put up the DC Future State Magazine link on my Twitter. Go ahead and give me a follow. Follow the link there while you're at it. Get the scope and the news on that project. And that's it for me there. And uh, how about you? And the people can find me, of course, at J on Twitter. And they can, of course, pick up the official J t-shirt at whatamaneuver.net. So, folks, until next time, when we see you for Batman Superman Public Enemies, I want you to stay safe, wash your hands, Wash your ass, wash your balls, uh, you know, wash your crotch in general if you don't got balls. Do your best. Do your best. Social distance, all that jazz. Wear a mask. Wear a damn mask. It's not a political statement. It's a fact of science. Uh, plus, we all get to pretend we're superheroes or at least in a Mortal Kombat game. Nooch. Well, with that being said, my friends, thank you very much for tuning in this and each and every week. We love you for it, and we will see you next week. On the same pod time. The same pod channel. You know where we're at.